This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. We are live across YouTube and Facebook. My name is Ian Crow and I'm joined by Joe Thomas, the Echo's Everton FC home and away correspondent. Joe, how are things? Yeah, not too bad, cheers. Not too bad. A relatively quiet week so far. Probably a little bit quieter than necessarily expected with the uh, appeal verdict slated for, for mid-February. I think we're well and truly in mid-February now and it's kind of, it's one of those it could come at any moment. But obviously, the longer it goes into this week, the greater the chance of it being next week. So a little bit surprised at that, but uh, hoping for a conclusion as soon as possible. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come on to a little bit on that. Mm. But, you know, the, the the main purpose of this, you know, live stream and this podcast is to talk about the, uh, you know, 7-7, um, take over and uh, what that means for the club but um, like you said that you know we were expecting a bit you know big news regarding Everton's point deduction and um, so you're a little bit surprised that it hasn't come yet I'll be surprised it hasn't come by the end of the week I'm, yeah. I'm not I you know I thought it was going to come this week um, obviously there's still time we're Thursday afternoon here um, it might be quite interesting obviously depending on how much coverage the Premier League is hoping this gets yeah, Friday evening or Friday mid to late afternoon would be an interesting time to drop it. Say, for instance, if they didn't want as many eyes, as much scrutiny as possible, because, you know, obviously the later you get towards the end of the week, the harder it becomes for Sunday newspapers who have all their, you know, their big plans for everything, um, you know, working on throughout the week to, to mobilise in time. And also because, you know, from Saturday morning, whatever happens on Friday night from Saturday mid-morning onwards a completely different news cycle starts as you get to the early kickoff and you've got a weekend yeah. of fixtures so yeah that's Friday's a good time to bury potentially contentious news but um yeah the people who are suggesting it might be this week are now suggesting that it might be a little bit longer so um surely the Premier League can't be that cynical and think that this news is going to be buried underneath everything else caught this coming weekend. I think that one thing that we've noticed um, or should have noticed over recent months is the fact that optics is a, a very big part of everything that pretty much every organisation does, yeah. including Everton, like, um, uh, and then many, many others in all sorts of, of works and life, walks of life, particularly the ones that, that we are engaged with on news and sport. And, you know, I, I don't think you could ever be too cynical about how someone might try and, game a release of something to their advantage okay well just a reminder to those listening watching on youtube facebook please comment um get your questions in get your opinions in and uh we'll give you the shout out we'll read your questions out and we'll uh, we'll try and answer them as best as we can but joe yeah uh, you know the main reason why we're here for this podcast uh, like say this live stream uh, you've written a piece today a slight update i'd say probably on mm. the um you know Prospective takeover by seven seven partners of Everton Football Club, um, it, you know it's still it's been a long time coming. It's still it's still not done yet in terms of there's no decision either way. Yeah. Um, are you able to just give a little bit of an update to to those watching on you know on your piece on what on what's basically been you know touted out today? Yeah. Well, it's February the fifteenth today, and for for a lot of people listening and watching, probably won't have escaped them that the announcement that seven 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 planned to take over Everton was on. Um, September the 15th so it's exactly five months today uh, so probably like a fair few journalists probably looking to look at that time frame and look at that I mean anniversary feels like a, a strange way to frame it but just try and work out quite where we are and probably a little bit um, kind of pushed on a little bit as well by obviously the Premier League confirming the Jim, Sir Jim Ratcliffe 
investment kind of acquisition of a 25% share of Manchester United earlier on this week. Uh, that also kind of gives you a pause for thought because on the one hand, it's, it's five months and you know, in the release uh, when Everton confirmed the deal, they, they were hoping for a, a, you know, a end of 2023 deadline. Obviously, we're a long way past that. Uh, but we've also seen in, in Sir Jim Ratcliffe's so, um, takeover or well, acquisition of a stake in Manchester United that these things can be done quite quickly because obviously that was one he came to the table a lot later than 777 did with, with Everton. Um, so an obvious question has been to ask for quite some time, but we've had so many different issues kind of like it's like fight competing for for attention with Everton for so long. It's, it's difficult to kind of focus on all of them all at the same time. And uh, but it made sense to try and work out where we are with with seven 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 at the moment. And um, the reality is that it still hasn't been confirmed or or, or or rejected yet. You know, both options are there in the Premier League's court. Then the reality is we're waiting on the Premier League, the the Financial Conduct Authority. They approved their element of it just before Christmas. GFA has that, a regulatory role. To interrupt, is that um, a new side of things? Because what wasn't there a new layer? of scrutiny on, on takeover of club football clubs Yeah, I mean, well. a lot of it is more built into a beefed up Premier League owners and directors test. Um, so that has been kind of more, um, yeah, become more, um, it offers, provides more scrutiny of potential new owners. Um, and also there's, um, as part of that process now, the Premier League have a, an independent oversight panel. So whatever decision they come to on a potential acquisition, they then run it by that. So then there's another week or 10 days or so of oversight so that somebody independently verifies the original decision or looks for any holes. We're not at that stage yet with Everton. The Premier League have got to reach their conclusion first and then pass it to a panel and then we'll find out. Um, But yeah, but I mean, I think we're, we're moving towards a conclusion. There are people now... Who are, there is no set time frame for these things. That's probably an important thing to start. There's no, unlike say with the the points deduction, the profit and sustainability, where written into the Premier League handbook, there is a a formula for how long things should take, when a panel should be convened, when the first meeting should be held, when documents should be served, when the you know when the case will be heard, and when an appeal can be heard after that. There isn't anything like that for a for an unknown director's test in the Premier League handbook. So it's an open. It's how long is a piece of string? Yeah. On the one hand, you have Sir Jim Ratcliffe taking just a couple of months. On the other hand, you probably say that's a little bit easier because it's a twenty five percent stake, not a hundred percent, or not a majority stake. Um, and also, I think that I mean, when you've got a bank balance, as I imagine he's got, I don't think he'd have had any difficulty proving. You know, he's one of Britain's richest men, so probably proved proved quite easily had the funds to to do what he wanted. Um, and to follow through his through his plans. On the other hand, you have Newcastle and the Saudi takeover. That's um that took eighteen months. So these things can take any length of time. Um, and obviously we're five months in here, and that's a lot longer than was you know su- suggested at the start of the process. Obviously that suggestion came from the Everton slash seven 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 side of things. So maybe they were a little bit bullish or a little bit ambitious. I think there's an acceptance that they they were because obviously you know we're six weeks into the new year now and still no word. But it feels like from both sides when there's an acceptance that we're moving towards a conclusion. You know, people close to the are speaking to today, they they're expecting some sort of formal approach from the Premier League over the coming coming days and they expect that to pave the way for the almost essentially put in motion the beginning of the end. So they're hoping that the you know, decision could be just weeks away. And and in fairness to them, that kind of chimes with what the Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters was saying when he appeared before the Select Committee last month. He was saying obviously it's complicated. 
can never say how long it's going to be to make a decision. And within that, I'm sure most people are aware of it. He kind of hinted that there might have been a few issues with the with the application that some of the questions remained unanswered. But even he at that point suggested it was hopefully going to be weeks away. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. So you would think that we we must be getting close anyway. There's no massive grievance from you then with the. I mean, can we call it a delay? It's like you said. Um, Newcastle's took 18 months uh, initially and then you know the the United Jim Sir Jim Ratcliffe's acquisition you know it's taken obviously less time than Everton so in a way you know that that time frame like you say it's it's an open book but with the United one getting over the line first like you say it's probably I, I don't know would they scrutinize it as much as they have done the Everton one you would expect so maybe just because it, it's 25 percent and Everton, the Everton owner uh, is you know, the takeover is, is it, what is it, 90, 94%. 94%. So would they need to look at, you know, more? I don't I don't know. Like, what, what would they need to look at? Surely they just Probably need to... Probably a more intense process. Because obviously, yeah. it's someone that's coming to take complete control of the club, whereas they already know who runs Manchester United, who will remain in... Yeah. Who will remain the owners of Manchester United. Obviously, the Glazers will continue to do that, even with Sir Jim Ratcliffe's uh, 25% acquisition. But obviously he might build on that going forward. But there's probably a little bit less scrutiny in relation to, to that. Obviously, proving your funds and your business plans a bit different if you're coming in as a minority partner as opposed to if you're coming in, you want to take the whole thing. And obviously, we know that Everton is already committed to some big financial projects, obviously the stadium being number one. So anyone coming in has got to be able to show a plan for how they could run the finances, whereby they try and complete that and whatever, as well as run a Premier League football team as well. So there's probably a few more avenues to go down for something like this. I don't really think that at this stage, I don't think we can be that aggrieved that it's taken so long. Because I think that really this is a process where, at its heart, and obviously I think that we have questioned a lot some of the practices and the processes of the Premier League um, overseas over the recent months in relation to Everton, obviously mainly the points deduction. Um, so, you know, we can't pretend that Everton's going to be perfect with this. But really, if if done correctly this scrutiny process should be something that is good for football fans because what it should do is it should prevent people who aren't fit and proper from coming in, taking over these institutions, which are you know so prestigious, so yeah. prized and precious to football fans and their local communities. So, you know, really, I think it, you know, we want it to take as, as long as it needs to take them to come to the right answer. The only time, the only area where I think there might be a grievance would be if, say, for instance, the Premier League were to knock it back if we then find out why and it turns out that the reasons it's going to knock it back would be ones that they've known about for months on end and you know, it's just been sat on a desk gathering dusk while they deal with lots of other things at that point I think it might be fair to have an agree to have a grievance if that happened because 777 right now put a hell of a lot of money into helping Everton cover its running costs month to month if their support was to be withdrawn going forward then that might cause Evan some difficulties in terms of its everyday operations. Now, if that was to be the case, I'm not saying I'm not saying it is going to be the case, but if that was to be the case, then unless something new has come up in the last few weeks, you would hope that that conclusion would have been drawn, or you think it would have been far fairer if that conclusion to have been drawn before or during January, because at that point, Everton would be in a position where, say, for instance, they thought we're going to have 
you know gaps to cover here in in our spend in our expenditure they would at least have the option then to potentially sell players if they needed to to bring in the money that could then cover them for however many months or weeks it takes them to try and find new investment or new prospective owners and start the process again so yeah everyone would be at a significant disadvantage if this was to be rejected and i think if it was to be rejected for reasons that have already been that have always been an issue um as a, rather than something that's come to light in you know since mid January, then then I think then there'd be a genuine grievance because you'd say, well, you know, I mean, you're not really giving the club much of a chance here. So, I mean, you mentioned the sale of obviously assets and players, and it's obviously the last last thing that we want. We've obviously got a number of saleable assets, but we don't want to be doing that, do we? We want to be we want to be a, a building the team. We want to be moving up the league. It's the it's the last thing that we want. And yeah, well, yeah, of course. And I think the yeah, I think one of the things that we saw in this January was, and we know that the transfer market was very different just globally to, to how it is, um, kind of pre how it has been previously. But where there was probably some progress was, they didn't buy anybody, but they didn't sell anybody. And if you look back at the last you know, summer, they sold Alex Awobi, played every, started every game he was available for, for Sean Dyche, sold him on that transfer deadline day, sold Tom Cannon, you know, the most... Um, yeah, the biggest uh, youth prospect on transfer deadline day. You go back to last January, they sold Anthony Gordon, you know, 45 million. You go back to the summer before that, you sold Richarlison, Big to all because of, you know, profit and sustainability in the wider picture. They didn't do that in January, and that's a good sign. But one of the reasons they didn't do that in January, they didn't feel they had to, was because some of the money was coming in from, from 777. So, you know, if that was to be... Yeah, I doubt they'd carry on putting money into the club after something had been after that takeover proposal had been rejected, and that could cause problems if that was to be the scenario played out. I mean, for me, it's just a slippery slope of if you get to a point where you need to sell players just to, like you say, cover operational costs and survive. It's like say it's a slippery slope. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We've got questions coming in. We've got opinions coming in. Keep them coming in. And uh, just going to read one of them now. So Eamon Dobbins on Facebook, Joe, says, or says, I have a bad feeling that the Premier League is going to throw us under the bus. So, you know, just to interpret that, I assume he means they're going to reject this seven set. He mm. thinks that they're going to reject the triple seven um, takeover. What What are your thoughts with, with regard to that? Does, does this takeover need to go through? There's no other option in your in your mind. I think that, I mean, I, like you know, in relation to, to Eamon's point there, I mean, you could could argue they've already thrown Evan under the bus with the ten point deduction in the first place, and you can and That's they, a whole of the podcast. And it feels and it feels like Deitch has just picked them up off the floor and they're you know stumbling back across the road, and it feels like there are more buses on the way, and you're just trying to work out whether they're going to get hit by them or or narrowly avoid them to, to use a very poor kind of analogy there um yeah i think it, it's 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 an interesting one because you the, it'd be interesting to see what is at the heart of the premier league's thought process behind closed doors here because on the one hand they clearly want the right people to be in charge of football clubs i think that's something that we all want but it depends where the threshold lies for a decision for, for what's right and wrong for Everton right now, because 
the question, there are two very different questions that could be asked. And one is, are these the right people to be coming into the Premier League? And there's the other one is, are these better than the current scenario with Fahad Mashiri having kind of essentially, you know, be looking to walk away from his support? What's the worst alternative here? If, if they decide that they 51% to 49%, they don't think these are the right people to take over Everton, but it's like a narrow margin. Do they then move on to the, to, to the question, well, they might not be as savoury as we'd like them to be if they're on that, but this is a better option than rejecting them. Uh, because obviously the integrity of their league depends on the financial strength of the institutions that are in it, including Everton. And you know, Everton are a massive club with a big fan base and a huge history in the English and the European and the world game. Yeah. Like watching a club like Everton crumble will not look good for the Premier League. And again, it has to have that kind of, or it might have that political, that, that optics kind of view in, in case as well. And it's a really interesting one because... You know, look, Fire Machinery has a lot of money. His access to it is dwind, you know, is is, is reducing. Um, if seven 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 were to to be rejected, he'd have to look for for alternative investors. Yeah, there are murmurings that there might be others lying in wait. I, I still, Everton would be carrying a lot of debt um, for any takeover, uh, for any any prospective um, you know, group or company or person that wanted to take it over. But there are still positives if you have the money or you have a plan to kind of get it on the right financial footing first. There is still an opportunity with Everton, albeit a difficult one that requires, you know, some 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 clever thinking and some planning and careful um, work to, to get there. So I don't think it'd be like be the end or anything like that. But I do think that, and be also because I think that of all the people that could potentially say if there were issues and, you know, wanted to try and call the administrators in, a lot of them, a lot of people that are owed money, would get less of a return if if, if the club went into administration. That was, that was so they, they would lose it, so they would lose out themselves. And there's almost no interest in them yeah. kind of triggering it. Um, you know, it, it'd be more like to be some you know, an external party or someone if, if the if the bills aren't paid. But yeah, similarly for Farhad, for him to walk away, well, you know, it's a much. Money. He's got a much better prospect of getting more money back for a club that's running and covering its costs and then for one that's going to administration. So, you know, there might be a potential down the line for that to happen if this was to be rejected in the first place. But probably the most influential people in that process all have a say in the club continuing to operate. So, Well, my my, my concern is obviously massive Everton fans. So, you know, you do worry about the club. We, we all worry about the club's future. I have seen and heard the murmurs, you know, Suggestion and speculation that if this deal doesn't go mm. through, you know the club could end up in some sort of administration, or just go, you know, full, full into administration. But you know, like you've just you kind of hit the point, the nail on the head. There. The more I was, I was thinking about it, that obviously doesn't benefit Farhad Mashiri. Why would he want to put the club into administration? Because he's not, he would never get a return. But you've said we don't know what other prospective buyers are out there to to you know invest in the club. So. I mean, it seems to me as well, Mashiri has stopped bankrolling the club yeah. as well. He, you know, not that he doesn't care, but he obviously he just he just he just thinks this is this is coming to the end now. Why do we need to continue bankrolling the club when the new owners are coming in and they're willing to to invest? Obviously, we've talked about what is it, one hundred eighty to two hundred million pounds worth of loans. Is is there is there a worry that administration is is around the corner if this? Takeover doesn't go through. Should should be worried worried about that because then inevitably we don't know what the future holds after that. But we know there will come another points deduction. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult one because we don't really know the ins and outs yeah. of Evans' finances. Um, I'm just worried, Joel. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I can completely understand that worry. We can't give guarantees either way. Look, I think that on the one hand, you can say that it, 777 are putting a lot of money into the club to help with its operating costs on a month-to-month basis. They wouldn't be doing that if they didn't have to because yeah. obviously there's an element of risk there for them, you know, because if they get rejected, then that's money that they become owed rather than equity that they can have in the club. So clearly there's a bit of a shortfall there or there's a, a there's a scenario where it's more preferable for them to be putting the money in than, than, than getting it from anywhere else. Massive shortfall. That doesn't mean to say that they can't get it from anywhere else. And you know, it probably becomes less of a question about what... Um, it becomes more of a question about how much Farhad has and is willing to put in to carry things going probably until the summer when you can then... You know, get um, you know, potentially sell players to, to bring in some money. That um, you know, there's there's, there's obviously a, a danger. You look at the you look at the finances; they're not very good for Everton. But I don't think it would you know if I, I don't think we're in a scenario where, say, for instance, seven 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 get rejected and then what was the next day everything collapses. I, I think that you know, I, I think there are enough people and with enough of an interest in that not happening to at least give them a bit of time to maybe find an alternative solution. You know, even if you look at something like, say for instance, you look at MSP, MSP wanted to take over Everton or get a big stake in Everton in the summer that fell through, but they still lent it hundred odd million pounds towards the stadium and things like that. Well, almost you know, a better way to protect. They, there could almost be a situation where if say for instance, if 777 fell through MSP, their best way to protect that hundred million pound might be to put a bit more money in to keep the club going until a more you know sustainable solution is found. And once they're in there, they can then start paying back the money and they can get that hundred million pound back. So whereas if it goes into administration, that wouldn't happen. So I think there are there are a lot of things that could. I don't, I don't think Evans in a particularly strong financial position at all. Um, and I think that the money that seven 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 are putting in shows us that i also think it's important to um you know to, to look at the january transfer window and no one was sold everton did have players that could be that even if they were sold on the cheap for what they are could still have brought a lot of money into the club the fact that they didn't do that even as a contingency plan you know maybe it was a gamble or maybe they just go you know what we we do have a backup in place that can just keep us till the summer if the worst comes to the worst so like you know it, can't give a definitive answer. No, but um, but in terms of, I don't really want to dis- discuss this because it's gone in the past. But January, you know, it was like a medical round, wasn't it? Because no other club really came in to test the waters with Everton players because they were unable to because of the profits and sustainability rules. So Everton were were just kind of left, not in limbo, but they were kind of just left to carry on with the day to day and no offer. As, as far as we know, came in for Anana, a Pickford, a, a Brantwaite or anything like that. So it was kind of, we don't know for definite if a, a big offer had come in, whether Everton would have accepted that or not. Well, I think that, you know, I, I think that if Everton wanted to proactive, felt they needed to sell one of those players, then, you know, I think they, they probably could have got a deal for them. I think, you know, Jared Brantwaite's a hugely exciting prospect. We know clubs across Europe are watching him. Um, it feels like he is is moving towards a situation where he's going to be competitive for the, the, the national team. Uh, you know, he might end up... There's, there's a scenario where he could easily end up in, in the in the squad for the Euros. Obviously, to some of his rivals, like to Mark Wahey and Ezra Conter are both injured at the moment. So, you know, that, that helps him. 
you know, I think that if it'd been known that Everton was struggling so much that you could get him for, say, 30, 40 million pounds, as opposed to, you know, I think he's worth double that. And the same with Amadou Anana, if you could have, you know, if, if it became known he was available for 30, 40 million pounds, as opposed to probably the 75 plus that he's worth, then I imagine that they would have been able to have found somebody to, to, to buy them. If they, if they were, if they felt they had no choice but to sell them just to keep them going, then I think they would have found the deal. And the fact that they didn't do that perhaps suggests that either a confidence in the 777 thing going through um, and or a belief that they might be able to kind of just keep themselves going if it wasn't to go through um, for long enough to kind of find an alternative source. Okay. Just on the, you know, 180 million loan, that 777 of, you know, um, given to Everton as a, obviously as a loan, um, you know, to me from the outside, probably looking in it, it massive concern because it seems like there's, Black hole. We've talked about it. You know, Machiri seems to not be bankroll on the club anymore. But obviously, that money, like you said, operational costs probably go into the stadium as well. But is it also a ploy from both Everton and Triple Seven to force the Premier League's hand to say, "Well, we're going to be 180 million pound in debt to another investor if we don't get this Triple Seven deal over the line." But if they do get the deal over the line, it's like, well, we've got the we've got the the takeover that we wanted and this 180 million pounds was obviously worth what was uh, you know invested into the club yeah well if they're trying to do anything to force a Premier League's hand then they're not doing a very good job because <laughs> yeah, we're, we're five months in and we still don't don't have an answer yeah. but obviously you know it would you would imagine it would be quite influential um it'd be helpful for 77's plan for the narrative to be if this is rejected then Evan collapse that obviously makes it harder. We, in theory, should make it harder for the Premier League to go to turn them down because obviously they wouldn't want the club to go into administration. So it is probably yeah, there is a degree to which it's probably helpful for that narrative to be out there. And we we have to be careful um, about how much we, we we buy into that. And um, but you know we'll just, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is I'm asking you the difficult questions, Joe. Um, what are what are Triple Seven's motives here? Do you think you know they own a number of football clubs? They've got you know controlling stakes in a number of other clubs. You know they've already lent to Everton one hundred eighty million pounds. We know Everton have got a you know a massive asset now in the stadium. It's going to be worth hundreds of millions of pounds. Um, just in your opinion, really, you know what what are the motives? Because surely they're not going to be making hundreds of millions back off Everton over you know over the coming seasons, are they? Well, not in the short term, but in the long term, I imagine that the motive is to make money. So, um, you know, and the stronger and more vibrant their, you know, their their multi-club model is, and the more clubs it's got, the more opportunity there is to you know, move players around it and to, you know, to, to create a network that, that, that improves in all the different leagues that, that they're in. So, you know, look, there is potential with Everton. Obviously, it comes with a lot of debt initially and a lot of problems in relation to profit and sustainability and the strength of the current squad. But they're in the Premier League. You know, if, if Everton can be a consistent Premier League club, which it has been throughout the entirety of the Premier League, then what is guaranteed is is access to huge sums of money every single year from the, um, you know, from the rights, the TV rights deals, everything that comes with it and the prestige of having that within their model. So... You know, when there are easy wins that can help to make Everton more sustainable and more economically viable, obviously, once you get the stadium over the line, and then that's you know, you're bringing in a lot more money from ticket prices and all the stuff around it, all the events and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, 
and all that could be used to help push them up the table. And you see it's millions of pounds different for every position you move up the, t- the, the table as well. So, you know, there is probably a way in which, you know, if you had Everton as a fresh start, it'd be quite easy to move forward, I think, and, and make them more financially um, viable. At the minute, they're not because they're just in a club that's been in a bit of a mess for a couple of years and it's just caught in a, in a, in a really complex spiral of problems. But if you can find a way in which just to kind of maintain a relatively low cost, maintain Everton as a Premier League club for a couple of years, in a, in a row, then I think it becomes quite straightforward to start moving the club forward. And really, if you look, just look at this, just look at this season, you know, Evan spent nothing in January, but they sold players. They spent nothing in the summer, but they sold players. So they're bringing money in and they're bringing money in. They've got a tiny squad and Dyche really has them in a position where they should be, what, 12? Yeah, they should be about nine points clear. The relegation zone, eat, you know, that's in itself is a miracle. But I mean, in terms of your footballing costs, there the things that you spend money on, like you try the wage bills come down, money's coming in from transfers rather than going out on transfers, and then moving up the league. And for every league position that you move up, it's worth an extra three million pound or so. Better you are, the more games you get on TV, you know, things like that. You know, the more games you win, you know, the more fans start coming, you know, showing an interest and. You pick up around the world and want to start buying merchandise. So, you know, I think Deitch has shown a way where you can turn and, you know, he's turned a side that's been in two really, really difficult relegation battles in. And he's probably had a worse squad available to him than Lampard, than Lampard did, um, both when he kept Everton up and then when he started the next season. Um, and he's turned them into a team that, by rights of on the pitch activity, should be mid table. He's done that whilst bringing in money rather than spending it. So, yeah, there is an opportunity there, but um, you know, things have to be managed properly. And I think one thing that we've seen over a sustained period of time is there hasn't really been any long-term sensible financial planning. And you know, Everton are currently, you know, still feeling the consequences of, of of the strategies that they they followed through on, you know, several several years ago. And you know, it's Farwell and Deitch who've inherited the problems and are trying to kind of you know solve them with what probably both hands tied behind their back not just one yeah I mean that probably brings me on to my next point then so you know we've heard whispers we've heard murmurs of other fans across the world um, you know clubs owned by triple seven so you know just obviously the likes of Vasco da Gama standard Liège like Genoa in Italy you know I haven't spoken to any of these fans by the way but you obviously you see reports you, you see stuff on Twitter you see a lot of stuff on social media you know quite clearly not happy with triple seven as their owners. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of, of exactly why, but you know, Everton have been in turmoil for a good couple of years now off the pitch and which has basically resulted in, you know, effectively two relegation battles, third one, obviously now due to the points deduction. I think the point that I'm trying to say is that if triple seven do come in, you know, we, we really need them to, stabilize this club because if they don't then it's obviously going to be a roller coaster it's going to be up and down we don't want any more relegation battles we obviously want to be fighting up at the end of the table the top end of the table we want to be you know getting to the far end of cup competitions i think what i'm saying is you know when triple seven come in if they do come in you know we like say we need them to we need to settle things down it can't just be turmoil in the in the back room you know in the boardroom again the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I think that if you look at the other clubs that they operate, most of them 
they've taken it they, they they target distressed assets they, they, they target yeah. clubs so they know that they're in a basically in a very vulnerable position so they can get them for a much cheaper price but they obviously do that believing that they can turn things around and eventually make them more economically viable yeah um well, that's, me, that's, that's me a long-term process because what they don't do is they don't come in and put lots of money into transfer kitties yeah and i think that it's probably the, the expected process for Everton like with a lot of those other clubs is it you know, Everton in, 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 a, in a difficult position for a long time you know it's going to be an incremental improvement rather than it's not it's, it's unlikely you know apart from you know with a with a bit of luck or say for instance you know maybe if if they sold a few players and all that all the money in January got and reinvested into the squad and a more sent the squad was shaped in a more sensible way I think it's not going to go from fighting for 16th 17th 18th to fighting for fourth, fifth and sixth any time overnight. But obviously the hope will be that they have a more stable financial footing and it becomes easier to, to move up the table. And even with the chaos that Deitch has been operating in this season, we've seen that they should really by rights be a mid table side. And yeah, so getting getting from getting from eighteenth getting from seventeenth to twelfth probably might not necessarily be the issue. But obviously getting from tenth to sixth, seventh, eighth is probably where the issue's gonna be. Yeah. You know, a lot of the clubs who are within 777's portfolio continue to have problems while 777 have been in charge. And there are two ways in which you can look at it. On the one hand, yeah, there is there are plenty of red flags and there are, there is a lot to look at 777 and be concerned about in terms of where they get their money and perhaps what their motives are and how they you know, intend to manage things going forward. On the flip side, you could say, well, all of the clubs that they've taken over have been in trouble and their problems that they've inherited and they're naturally going to take a long time to, to, to overcome. And therefore, you know, when clubs have been in, you know, had issues with their, their own league, their own country's authorities and been threatened with things like deductions and, and transfer bans, which obviously has been a thing that we've seen in, in, with, with some of those other clubs. The question is probably, is this because of anything 777 have done or is this the overhang of the, the regimes that 777 took over from? And that's a really difficult question to answer. You know, in the same respect that obviously Deitch and Farwell are dealing with points deductions and profit and sustainability limitations, not because of what they've done, but because of what managers have been allowed to do in Deitch's football previous prior to them have been allowed to do. You know, 777 might turn around and say, well, you know, we can't escape all this stuff immediately because we're still having to, you know, things were so messy, they take time to, to, to put right. And that's probably a little bit of the conflict at the moment, trying to work out whether these are good operators that are coming in we're into really difficult situations that take a lot of time and, and a lot of energy to turn around. It's a messy process or are they just a continuation of a theme? And that's the clear fear here. You know, we will only know with time and obviously they're relatively new owners of most of those other clubs. So it's difficult to kind of give a, an exact view on, on how they've run them just yet. And the chances are by the time we're in a position where we've been able to watch them long enough to form an opinion, an accurate opinion on whether or not they were good or bad owners, well, that's still probably a couple of years away. And Evans is going to be, you know, at the very least, it's going to be decided in the coming months. So if they get approved, then if they get rejected, that'll tell its, tell its own story. If they get approved, there's probably going to be a lot of learning on the job from, from fans watching them. I mean, is there an argument for to say that they've got too many, too many clubs in the portfolio? I mean, it, I, I'm not suggesting suggesting for one second that they've bought these clubs in the hope that they they fail. You know, that's obviously not a good business strategy. Like you said, they've obviously 
both these clubs and obviously want to buy Everton to, to make them a success. But I just think on and off the pitch now, it's just in modern day football, it's just, it's all hand in hand. You don't only have to look at the, the most successful clubs over the, the past 10 years, 20 years, whether that's in the Premier League or across Europe, they've had stability in the boardroom. So are we... Are, is there a suggestion that, you know, they've, they've got too many clubs on, on the book portfolio and they should be just concentrating on, you know, set, set clubs themselves? Yeah, well, it depends what they do with them because yeah. obviously multi-club operating models are something that we're seeing more and more of, but with varying degrees of success. Obviously, Manchester City are part of one. You know, we've seen that and you look at what they're doing, obviously, you know, they're the best team in the world and you look at Girona, who's, who were part of that model, over in La Liga, you know, mm. competing with the big guns at the minute for Champions League places, at the minute completing, you know, competing for La Liga title, but you know they got beat by Real Madrid recently, and it may well be a case of fight for Champions League for them. But then you look at, on the flip side of that, you look at, say, the likes of Watford and Udinese and the countless player training between those two clubs, and, and obviously, you know, neither have had a huge, huge amount of success. So I think that... On the one hand, you can make a case to say it makes sense to have a, just a, a small number of clubs that you can focus intensely on. Mm. On the other hand, if you have the the more clubs that you have, the more markets that you have access to for you know youth talent and and things like that, and for for player trading, for you know for you know, for deals and all sorts. So I think it probably depends less on the model and more on the owner. And kind of like just in relation to what I was just saying a minute ago, in relation to the owner, at the minute, I think it's fair to say that they've had a troubled, they've got a troubled track record with the clubs that they own. The question is, and, and you have to probably give them a degree of the benefit of the doubt on this, is whether or not those issues are the result of the situations that they've inherited or whether they're a result of the new ownership. And that's something that's difficult to judge at this present moment in time because of how new they are to a lot of these clubs. Okay, just to the comments, um, the Blues YouTube channel has said, all right, lads, hope you're well. <laughs> all the better for that YouTube comment. Um, yeah, thanks for watching. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Richard Edwards on Facebook says, surely the board are examining other options should the 777 deal be rejected. They wouldn't make this public knowledge yet, anyway. Sure, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, look, I think that, and this is the thing. Yeah, I think it's easy to be. I think it'd be right to be concerned if seven 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 were to be rejected about what happens next for Everton Football Club and where that would leave the club financially. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I think there's plenty of evidence suggesting that we should be concerned, but I also think that you know, you would hope that there would be contingency plans in place like any sensible business person, a sensible board would surely be doing that. Mm. One of those contingency plans would have been to have maybe sold a key player in January just to perhaps bring a bit of money in just to have as a safety net just in case something happened. And one way of reading the fact that they didn't is the fact they didn't believe that was necessary. So maybe you can take a bit of confidence from that. And that's one of the reasons why I think it would be wrong to kind of overcommit and say, if 777 fell through its curtain straight away, I think that you know, there are lots of different moving pieces here. Um, and I think we are judging from the club's actions in public, say so it didn't do that. So hopefully there's a confidence that they could at least carry on paying the bills for a little bit longer while they sorted something out. Interesting one here, Joe. Did you see that um, Jagielka interview on TalkSport 
um, earlier in the week, Jace Como said, hey, what did you make of the Jag statement saying he, he believes the Premier League won Everton relegated? <laughs> what, did you, what did you make of that? Obviously, Jag's a you know, massive Everton fan. He's uh, you know wearing his heart on his sleeve. I think the Premier League would be absolute fools if that was a strategy that they wanted to, to undertake. Because I think that, you know, Everton, are, like I said at the beginning of this, I, I think Everton are a massive club with a big fan base, a prestigious history. Yeah. Everton are the type of club that they should want to be in the Premier League. And obviously, they shouldn't necessarily want different clubs to be in the Premier League and pick and choose who, who, should, who should be there. But there is no doubt that for the Premier League to be its strongest, you want the 20 biggest clubs in there and Everton would be one of them. The Premier League is stronger for having Everton in there than it is for not. Now, whether or not there's, um, you know, uh, a degree to which <laughs> Everton are causing a, you know, a hell of a lot of work to be done in the Premier League at, at the minute, and you know, we've countenanced the idea that things like the deduction and the profit and sustainability treatments that Everton have received might be an attempt by the Premier League to almost make an example out of someone to try and prove that they don't need independent regulation or things like that. You know, maybe, maybe that is part of it because obviously we know they're under scrutiny for it. Um, but they haven't done a very good job of it. I think it's, all they've done is serve to prove that independent regulation is needed in football um, and of, of, of the Premier League rather than that they're mature enough or responsible enough um, to be able to handle, handle their own affairs without outside interference. You know, Obviously, it's a difficult thing to to to, to you know to, to say. I, I don't think the Premier League would want Everton relegated, but I do think that the Premier League are you know seeing Everton as a massive thorn in their side at the minute, and yeah, you know, part of that's because of the way the Premier League have treated them and handled the cases. I think. Um, Eugene McGeever on YouTube has said, "I think Roy Hodgson is getting the sack from Crystal Palace." Um, Barry P said, it "Looks like." Roy is quite ill, apparently. I know he cancelled his press conference, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's Crystal Palace are really clearly in a really difficult situation at the moment, and I think that um, yeah, that game on Monday really, really does look important. Massive. Um, yeah, as as most games of Palace at Goodison Park seems to have been over recent years, it does. But I think first and foremost, you know, above everything, we wish Roy a speedy recovery and hope it's not serious, whatever it is. Yeah, okay, last of the comments on YouTube, uh, Barry P. Sensible one, to be fair, Joe, but says, not a fan of Triple Seven, mm. but their business model model is that clubs run within their means, which is what we want, to be fair. We don't want to be kept afloat from outside of our means. Yeah, which... um, yeah absolutely. I think if, um, yeah, we, we've seen... You know, we've we've read Farewell a few times ahead of the head and after before and after transfer windows, and he's talking very much about trying to move towards a more sustainable kind of football you know, model on the football side of things. It needs to be like that on the off the pitch stuff as well. Like absolutely, you know, there's that has to be the goal. I think I think the goal has to be finding a way of financial stability within Everton, and then working out once you've got that platform, working out where it can take you to. But first things first, they've got to get stable first. Yeah. I mean, we say that. I, I, I don't disagree whatsoever. I, I can completely agree with what you said as well. But it's our understanding. I mean, the Premier League have already come out and said that, that they're, they're going to change the profits and sustainability rules. So we don't know exactly what that's going to mean. But it, you know, if you read between the lines and look at it, it obviously means that they're going to, you know, reduce the rules a little bit. And you know, clubs are going to be able to spend more money in the coming in the coming seasons because let's face it. If clubs can't spend big, transfers, wages, 
you know, the Premier League suffers as well, the product suffers because they're not getting the best and the world class players coming to the league. Yeah, well, I mean, what I think they're, I think what their intention is to do is is probably make the the financial regulations more stringent so it brings them in line with what UEFA do in Europe, which is, you know, I, I think I think with that, it's the wage bills going to be no no more than seventy percent of turnover. And yeah, you look at Everton's; it's been high eighties and ninety percent over recent times. So actually, it will probably make things, you know, bring things into more financial control rather than than less, and greater regulation rather than less. So um, yeah, that obviously makes it. I think all the rules, into in particularly the current prop and sustainability ones, yeah, they're designed to protect the integrity of the league. But what they kind of do is just re they just entrench the existing elites because it's far harder to play catch up with the teams that are already the teams that have because you see how Newcastle at the moment they can't just spend without any constraints to try and get up to the you know compete for the title they've got to do it step by step incrementally you know I think that's better for the game overall you know I think more financial regulation is probably better for the game and better for football fans than less the problem that Everton have had over recent kind of years is they've just been caught in a really difficult scenario where things have gone specifically bad for them at a time when, you know, more and more rules and regulations have been coming in, have been enforced with more vigour at a time when they've been trying to play catch up rather than being one of the, the haves already at the top. Okay, well, you know, months of uncertainty will hopefully come to, you know, with, well, with regards to the Everton takeover, I don't know about the points deduction, but months of, months of uncertainty are going to come to an end, in, you know, hopefully within the next two to three weeks with regards to 777. Um, um, you know, we, you know, believe that 777 have been required to submit financial paperwork and we understand that they've they've done that. So it's kind of just, you know... Triple Seven's position is that they've answered all the questions that have been asked for them. They've submitted all the documents yeah. that they've been asked to submit. And Triple Seven's position is essentially that their case is now on the desk of the Premier League waiting to be, you know, put a big tick or a big cross next to it, you know. And I think they're hopeful that, well, one, they're confident that it'll go through. And I think that they would point to the £180 million they've committed to supporting Everton and they'd say, well they wouldn't have put that money in there if they didn't think they were going to get it if they didn't think they were going to get it because it's one of the things that's important to note is obviously the minute ever that's 108 million pounds or so that ever they're in debt to 777 it's junior debt so in terms of who they pay off first rights and media come before them and msp come before them so for them to be putting so much money in on those terms suggests a bullishness that they believe that they're going to be you know end up in charge and and, and that's what they'll that's, that's, that's where they'll be because otherwise, you know, it, it becomes a, a very difficult or much harder or much less preferable position for them to be in if they get rejected. Um, but obviously, you know, it's one thing being confidence. We still don't know the process yet. We still don't know the outcome yet. And the Premier League will have lots and lots and lots to consider. There are real question marks over 777 and where they get their money from and how they run the businesses, including the football clubs, but including others that, that they operate um, and that might be one of the reasons. Obviously, Richard Mass has hinted that unsatisfactory answers to some of the questions might be why it's taken so long already. So clearly, there's a a bit of friction there between seven 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 and the Premier League and their interpretation of how things are going. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, what we'll have is resolution soon because everybody needs had to move forward. Just imagine how much uncertainty this is causing. We know how much uncertainty is causing within the fan within the fan base. Imagine how it is within the club as well. Yeah, it must be so difficult. And um, 
you know, where we're moving towards a scenario where probably within a couple of weeks we're going to have a takeover resolution either way and, and the imminent, the, the point seduction appeal. So, and then the verdict on that. So, you know, Deitch keeps saying that the the longer Dominic Calvert-Lewin goes without scoring a goal, the sooner the goal will come. And I think for us, it's the longer we go without an outcome on either of these, the sooner, you know, in, in, in a weird kind of twisted way, the sooner it is, it's, it's, you know, the more likely it becomes, it's, it's, it's coming soon. So, you know, I think that I was hoping that these two processes wouldn't overlap and they may not overlap, but you know, it's, it's not a quiet time to be a, a reporter covering Everton. And, um, I think that I might be looking at March, the March international break for some time off because I think they're going to need it after what's probably going to come in the next couple of weeks. Well, Everton don't do simple, Joe. We know that we always do complicated. And I'm going to finish on this positive comment from <clears throat> Matt Spears on YouTube. So I assume a Tottenham fan listening to the Everton fan podcast, he said, Everton will be fine. Yeah. Are Everton going to be fine? I think so, yeah. I think so too. Okay. Everyone listening, watching Facebook, YouTube, thank you so much. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, follow, hit the like button, do every, do everything we've asked and it will be very appreciative of your support. Um, I think we're going to be back again tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, I think we need to look at Crystal Palace. Yeah. Me, just for anybody that's listening, wondering where the press conference is today. It's it's, it's going to be on Saturday morning. Mm. So a uh, bit of an unusual time there. I'll be down at Finch Farm at half past eight, hopefully getting some sort of breakfast, but I don't know. At least get a cup of tea while I'm waiting for, for Sean Dyche. But that means that there won't be one today and there isn't one tomorrow either. So No, but obviously tomorrow, you know, please join us again. We can preview the Crystal Palace game, even though it's the, the Monday plenty to discuss. Um, obviously talk about, you know, Roy, Roy Hodgson and, and Crystal Palace themselves. But, you know, hopefully we'll have a couple of players back from injury. The core we're hoping Anana's going to be back fully fit. Fingers crossed. The Dominic Harbert-Lewin, whether, he, you know, he starts over. Beto, should Beto be given a chance? So, yeah, plenty to discuss, plenty more. So, Joe, thanks very much. Um, I've been Ian Kroll, and this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.